You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. All right, open your Bibles to uh, the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 is where we're going to be. I want to offer one more quick prayer over the Word before we dive in. So if you would bow your heads with me, that'd be awesome. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your word, where we trust in the power of your word. We believe that your word, when it is preached, that it goes forth and makes change. Pray, God, that uh, as I preach today and as we look at Ephesians, that the power of the cross and the empty tomb and the power of Christ would be obvious to us. I pray, Lord God, that you would bring dead people to life that you would give new hearts. You would take away hearts of stone and give them brand new hearts of flesh. And I pray for those of us in the room that are believers, God, that you would use this passage to encourage us in the new life you bring. God, I pray those things and I trust you to do it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Question for you to start this off. What's the difference between dead people and living people? You might say, duh. What's the difference between dead people and living people? There's a massive difference, right? between dead people and living people. Dead people don't do anything, can't accomplish anything, and living people do many things, can accomplish many things. Dead people can't respond, and living people can respond, right? If you walk up and and try to scare a dead body, what's going to happen? Nothing, okay? Nothing is going to lay there. But if you walk up and try to scare me with a snake, what's going to happen? Because I'm alive and I am uber afraid of snakes, I am going to run and drop all sorts of curse words. I will just tell you that now. So not that I plan to do that. Most, most of you can attest to that. Not that I sit there and plan Joe's going to say this many curse words when he runs from a snake. But I will tell you, that will be my response on top of screaming like a little girl, okay? And so uh, that's what's going to happen if you to scare me. Here's the deal. You, you can dress up a, a dead corpse on the day of a funeral and try to make it look as beautiful as it did when it was alive, but the reality is that corpse is still dead. It will not be able to accomplish any of the basic functions of a living person, right? No matter how much lipstick you put on a dead person, you're still just dressing up a dead person who has no life. But a living person, a living person could do many things simply because they are alive. A living person can take a walk or eat a great meal, watch a good movie, go to a great concert, have a conversation with friends, express joy or sadness. A living person can complete an education or help the poor. And you might be asking, like, okay, why, why is the pastor drawing this big distinction between dead people and living people at the lead-in to this text. Here's the reason. The reason is that this contrast between dead people and living people is is simply the two categories that the Apostle Paul builds out in our passage. That's why I lead in that way. I want to kind of get that picture in your head that that's really the two categories that Paul is talking in as he lays out the gospel for us. So look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. Paul says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath, the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. That's such an important phrase. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. What can dead people do? Nothing. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. Who made us alive? Christ, right? You and I did not have the ability to make ourselves alive, right? A dead person cannot get up out of the casket and walk around, right? A dead person cannot start breathing the air of life again. It's just plain. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Raise us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, you believe in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus for salvation, then the truth that I want to encourage you with today is this. And you once were dead, but now you're alive. You once were dead, but now you're alive. You once were incapable of crawling out of your grave of sin and death. But now, now you are alive in Christ Jesus. That's the truth that I want to encourage you with if you're a follower and if you're a Christian. See, if you are a Christian, your old position, think of a position like a position you would have at your job, right? The old position you had, the old title you had was death. That was your position. That was your title. Dead. You were a dead man or a dead woman then. And the reason you were dead is because you were owned by the grave. The grave owned you. The grave was your owner, your boss. You were in that casket and the grave controlled you. That's who you used to be, once dead. But now your new position is life. It's life because Christ created you and he purchased you, right? What's the big R word for that? Redeemed. He redeemed you. Twice owned by God. Created you, purchased you. This is who you are. You trusted in Christ because you belong to him. Once we're dead, but now you're alive. This is illustrated on the screen in front of you and on your handouts by uh, the cross diagram. Some of you might be looking at that and you might be going, 12 points. <clears throat> so let's dive into it. Category number one, which was on the left-hand side, your left-hand side of, uh, of that cross diagram, is that you once were spiritually dead. This is centered on verses one through three. But I gotta ask this question, what does Paul mean when he says that you were dead? So when, I think that when Paul says that you were dead, he means simply this. He means that you were spiritually dead. You were dead in your old lifestyle of sin, dead when you followed the way of the world, dead when you followed Satan, dead when you lived according to your flesh and desires, dead when you were a child of wrath, dead when you were like the rest of humanity. That's what Paul is saying in summary in verses one through three. You once were spiritually dead. Let's take it one at a time. Number one, I once was spiritually dead because of my old lifestyle of sin. 
I once was spiritually dead because of my old lifestyle of sin. Think back on your old lifestyle of sin. Think about the way that you used to live. Sure, every one of us still today struggles with sin. But what I want you to catch a glimpse for is this picture of whom you used to be when you were spiritually dead in your old lifestyle of sin. I want you to think about that for a minute. This old lifestyle of sin for you, um, that might have been 50 days ago. might have lasted for 50 years. It might have been 50 years ago. might have lasted for 50 days. Regardless of when it was and how long that happened, there was a point in your life um, where, where you were spiritually dead because of your old lifestyle of sin. In this old lifestyle of sin that you once walked in, once lived in, you loved your sin. Your sin was precious to you. It's what you thought about. It's what you desired the most. It's what you spent your life running after. It's what you craved. Sin is what defined you then. You were owned by your sin. There was no, no remorse in you for your sin. You walked in that sin because you enjoyed the feeling and the look of those sinful shoes. That's part of what it looked like to be in an old lifestyle of sin. You enjoyed the feeling and you enjoyed the look. You craved it. You couldn't get away from your old lifestyle of sin, even for a moment. Why? Because you were controlled. You were owned. You were enslaved by your old lifestyle of sin. This first statement on the left side of the cross, I was spiritually dead once because of my old lifestyle of sin. So important for us to, to wrestle with and think about. Statement number two, I once was spiritually dead because I followed the way of the world. No, no matter how much uh, we want to deceive ourselves into believing or thinking uh, that we each as individuals can autonomously set the course of our lives, and therefore we, we choose which way we will go in accordance with our own free will, the truth really is this. You and I make decisions based upon who and what we are ruled by. This is a biblical truth all throughout Scripture. We make our decisions not autonomously and, and, and in freedom, so to speak. We do make our own decisions, don't hear me wrong. We have the ability. But we make those decisions based upon who owns us, who we're enslaved to who we are bound by. Every one of us was, was created to be under the reign and rule of Christ. That's really the way we were created, part of our DNA. And what happened in the fall, when, when sin came into the world with Adam and Eve, is we were broken from under the rule and reign of Christ, and we became under the rule and reign of the powers of Satan, sin, and the world, okay? So this second statement, I once was spiritually dead because I followed the way of the world, is important for us to think about. We made decisions before Christ, not based upon the Bible, not based upon a little bit of good that was inside of us, but instead we made decisions based upon the death-filled world that we live in, that we're influenced by, that we were controlled by. I once was spiritually dead because I followed the way of the world. And then number three, on the left side of the cross, 
I once was spiritually dead because I followed Satan. Not many of us. <laughs> There's not many of us in this room, I'm sure. Not all of us would, would enjoy admitting that at one point we followed Satan. That's a, that's a tough act, right? That's a tough statement to make. Hard for us to say that we once either followed Satan or that we were once controlled by satanic or demonic influences. But the reality is this. The reality is that before following Jesus, there was only one other alternative. Only one. And the only other alternative was to follow Satan. Every one of us is controlled or mastered by something or by someone. We were designed to have parents. This is the reality. Even, even God himself is then imaged, think about it, like a mirror through the family, right? So we were designed, created to be in family with parents over us. We cannot help but to bow our knees and to bow our lives down in submission to somebody or something and rule over us. Whatever God we worship in our lives outside of Christ is directly ruled by Satan himself. Satan is the prince of the power of the air, as we see in this text. He is the prince of the power of the air that surrounds us, and he is the spirit that is at work in the children of disobedience. That's the word that Paul uses. Satan is the spirit that is at work in the children of disobedience. And we, every one of us, if you're following Jesus, every one of us was once those children. We were living disobediently to, to the Lord. That was our way of life because we were under the reign and the rule of Satan. His existence and purpose is in his entire existence and purpose is to create rebellion and warfare against God, which if you wanted to parse this out a little bit further and do more study in the scriptures, you would find that even Satan's very existence of bringing rebellion against God is actually meant for a higher purpose, which is to glorify God. Think about that. How can some evil being bring glory to God? That's a really good question because each of you and I have a piece of that as well. We have evil within us, and yet God created us to bring him glory. And through the cross, when you and I come to believe in Jesus, we go from being dead to being then alive. We are now people who are bringing glory to him in a good way. And yet if you go to Romans, you'll find that God creates both people that will follow him and, both, and, other, and people who will not. And both those kinds of people still bring glory to God. Right? I once was spiritually dead because I followed Satan. I was no different than my father Satan then. My father now, but he was then. Jesus even says something similar to this when he looks at some of the religious leaders in the Gospels. He says, hey, your, your father is Satan, and you do his will. My father is in heaven, and I do his will. And so even Jesus makes this category. Paul's just falling in line with that. I once was spiritually dead because I followed Satan. Number four, on the left side of the cross, I once was spiritually dead because of my fleshly desires. Every one of us lived according to the passionate and energizing desires of our flesh. Whatever our bodies wanted, we gave ourselves to it. Impulsively. Our bodies felt it, we wanted it, we went after it. Right? Whatever our unredeemed minds thought was right, we chased with every ounce of energy that we could muster. And think about this, even the seemingly good things that you and I did, um, apart from Christ, in those days, 
those were still motivated by the desires to be seen as good or to maybe make a name for yourself, maybe satisfy your loneliness, or, or to maybe just to be accepted by somebody, right? Even those good things that we did when we were dead have still been motivated sinfully. Apart from Christ, I was motivated to feed the desires of my flesh. This is why I say I once was spiritually dead because of my fleshly desires. And then number five on the left-hand side of the cross, I once was spiritually dead because I was a child of wrath. I simply was a child of wrath, according to the Apostle Paul. Being a child of wrath um, was my nature outside of Christ. This was my identity apart from Christ. I lived as God's rebellious enemy. And therefore, what came out of that was I became an object of his anger. I was a, I was a death row inmate, really, awaiting judgment day. That's what was happening. That's, that's where I was at. I was in a prison cell. I was a child of God's wrath. I literally lived under a death sentence. There is no life sentence for a child of wrath. There is no probation for a child of wrath. The wages of sin, according to the scriptures, is spiritual death and separation from God. You can't get purchased out of hell by anything that you or any other human being can do. The only person that has the power to purchase you back from hell is Jesus because he's perfect. And his work at the cross did that work. The problem for you and I is that we all work hard to earn our death sentence. And on top of that, truth be told, is we're proud of those accomplishments. I once was spiritually dead because I was a child of wrath. And then number six on the left-hand side of the cross I once was spiritually dead because I was just like the rest of humanity. I once was spiritually dead because I was just like the rest of humanity. This, this is really bad news, right? Really the bad news that comes just before the good news. The bad news is that no single person can ever escape the total destruction and total depravity that has infected our world. All of humanity is infected with this curse. No, no person has sought after God. Paul says this in Romans as well. No person has ever sought after God. There, there's no God-sized hole inside of us. There's only rebellion. And the paycheck for that rebellion is spiritual death. Eternal spiritual death. See, what started with Adam and Eve in the garden, in their rebellion, they ate the apple together, that became a universal human problem. John Piper, one of my favorite preachers, he says this. He calls this the single worst problem of all time for every person. Think about that statement. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's an extreme statement. That's the single worst problem for all of humanity of all time. I can make a list of some things that are really bad in this world, right? Um, a human trafficking, horrifying. Agreed? Um, poverty and is horrifying. Um, broken marriages, that's a problem, right? That's horrifying. Uh, the kinds of sexual sin we see in our city right here. I spoke with a police officer the other night for a few minutes, and he said he was worn out. It was 5 o'clock. He said he was so worn out because he had spent the entire week chasing down um, 
sexual crimes case. Just here in Hastings. He's worn out. He said the things that he had seen and heard was horrifying. I think we could all agree there are a lot of things, even in our community, that are horrifying. They're horrible. They're bad, right? When John Piper makes this statement, I think he's making a biblical statement that the single worst problem is not those problems. Those are bad. But the single worst problem that is over the top of those is that we are all at the same and at one point facing the same penalty of God's wrath. Every one of us. Every one of us is depraved. Every one of us is sinful. Every one of us has been there. Now, here's the deal. Some people have not sunk to the same depths of sin as other people, right? Easy to make comparisons. I'm not like that guy. I'm not like that lady, right? At least I attend church more than he or she does, right? Or at least I got this together. I don't sin that way. We make comparisons. But some people have, may not have sunk to the same depths of sin as other people have. Um, but truthfully, here's the deal. No one has sunk to the depth of sin that is possible. No one has sunk to the depth of sin possible. This universal problem that we all have called sin, if we were left unrestrained, God's grace wasn't restraining something in this world, it would be worse than it is. That's a, that's a crazy thought to think about when it comes to the brokenness of humanity. I want to spiritually dead because I was like the rest of humanity. As you think about this first category, does this first category describe you? Does it describe the you that you used to be? Or does this first category describe the you that you are right now? Does this first category describe the you that you used to be? Spiritually dead past tense. Or does it describe the category or kind of person you are right now? Now, spiritually dead, present. I would just say this. If you're in this room and you're saying, man, when I walked in here, I think I was spiritually dead, present tense, and I think I'm recognizing that right now, let me just say, don't ignore that thought. You could not have that thought on your own. No dead person could ever think, I think I walked in here spiritually dead today. You would only be able to make that recognition in your mind and in your heart, because the Holy Spirit of God spoke that to you. Because dead people think. Agreed? Okay. Category number two. <laughs> the right side of the cross. I remember telling my wife I was afraid that I was going to have to cut this short. And really, because it's 1130, I should. But I think I can guarantee you guys we can get out of here. About 10. Um, I just don't want to leave us there. Um, so I was afraid that I was going to have to leave us there at the end of dead and wait for a week to talk about being alive. So let's crank into that. What does Paul mean when he says that God has made us alive together with Christ? He means this. He means that, that you and I used to be spiritually dead, but now we are spiritually alive, right? Now I'm alive because of God's rich mercy. I'm alive because of God's great love. I'm alive because God raised Jesus from the dead. I'm alive because God's grace has saved me. I'm alive because God has positioned me with Christ. Now I'm alive because God has chosen to reveal himself to me. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. Number one, I'm spiritually alive now because of God's rich mercy. Here's the thing. God knows everything. He knows my deepest and most sinful thoughts. 
Nothing is hidden from God's sight whatsoever. He sees my most despicable actions and my most embarrassing mistakes. God is everywhere at all times. Nothing that I have thought, said, or done, or will think, or will say, or will do, will or has escaped him. He knows it. He sees it. He hears it. And furthermore, he's fully present everywhere. When all those things happen, you have a mom that looked at you and was like, you know, when you sin like that, Jesus is watching you. There's truth to that. Jesus is right there. God is fully present everywhere. Justin made such a good point of that last week in his sermon. Yet, yet, he has ex- decided to extend his mercy to us. He saw everything, heard it all, knows it all. It's like he just sees, hears, and knows little bits and pieces of it. You and I, when we watch TV, we choose what information to bring in. As you're listening to me preach right now, you are making some conscious decisions on what to let in and what to reject. You're getting distracted and you're coming back in, right? We, God doesn't do that. He's fully conscious all the time. He doesn't struggle the way we do. Think about being fully present in the midst of everything that has ever happened or will happen. And yet in the midst of that, he still chooses to be merciful to you and I. That's humbling. So humbling. I can't tell you how many horrifying sinful thoughts I've had just this morning since I woke up five. I can't tell you because I don't know them all. God knows them. I'm aware of some of them. He knows them all, and yet he withheld the punishment you and I deserve through the cross of Christ. Because of you and I's rebellion against him, he withheld that. That's his mercy. Instead of giving you and I the hell that we deserve for our sinfulness, he has chosen to give you or I a brand new life according to his priceless, matchless mercy. It's mercy. I'm spiritually alive now because of God. Number two, I'm spiritually alive now because of God's great love. God's love is unexplainable and it's boundless. It goes on forever. His love has no end to it. You and I have an end to everything. There's a timeline for our lives, a beginning point when we were born and an ending point when we die physically. God has no beginning and no end. Therefore, his love has no beginning and therefore no end. Can you imagine being in eternity with God in heaven, what that will actually be like? I mean, we see pictures of like sitting on little fluffy couches singing praise songs. I don't think that comes anywhere even remotely close to describing even a milli-tenth second of what it will be like to be in eternity with a God whose love is boundless and never-ending. If you could experience that now, his great love for you, his boundless love for you, what kind of radical change would that make on the way you live your life? Great is God's love that he has extended his love to us when we were still dead. That's what the text said. Pointed that out earlier, right? When you and I were still dead in the grave, he poured out his love on us. I don't pour out love on dead people. I grieve the death of people. I don't pour out lavish love on dead objects. Agreed? Right? But God is different. God pours out his love on dead people so that they can come to life. 
His love is unconditional. That's why he poured out his love upon me long before I ever had the chance to make something right. I can't earn his love and I can't unearn his love either. God's love simply flows out of who he is and flows onto who he declares is his. I can't just walk in the room and declare, hey, I belong to God. And then God's like, oh, well, I'm glad that you think you belong to me. I'm now going to pour out my love on you. Man, I'm so glad Joe came around today. It's not the way it goes. The way that it goes is God goes, Joe is mine. Therefore, I'm going to pour out my love on him. It has nothing to do with the way that I behave or the way that I acted or the way that I lived or the way that I was once dead. It has everything to do with him. That's the great message of gospel. He declares that I'm his. Therefore, because he's loving and because he has the right and the power to declare me his, pours out his love on me. That's a never-ending love. I can't break his love. I can't earn his love. I can't unbreak his love. I can't do anything to change his love for me. Neither can you. Spiritually alive now because of God's great love. Number three, I am spiritually alive now because God raised Jesus from the dead. What Paul says here is that God has made us alive together with Christ. This short sentence is basically known as the doctrine of union with Christ. It simply means this. simply means that when someone becomes a Christian, then that person is immediately united to, tied to, bound to, bonded to, okay? United to Christ and becomes one with Christ. And at that point, when you become a Christian and become one with Christ, you receive all the benefits of the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. When you start a new job, you oftentimes get benefits, right? Health insurance. Retirement, vacation pay, sick days. But a lot of times when you get into a, a new job, you don't get those benefits until 30 days out, 60 days out, 90 days out. And sometimes you have to earn some of those. You have, they have vacations that are more accruing where you have to work so many hours to get it. There's a great thing about Jesus is not that way. When you become a Christian, it's not that you have to earn it or get it accrued or wait for three months to get all of the benefits of being in Christ. When you are united to Christ, you have all the benefits available to you immediately. That's what Paul's wanting to make the point of. Many of us, many Christians that I, that I know and meet, will spend their lives complaining and whining and living in the reverse cycle of their sinful patterns because they fail to recognize that they are united to Jesus and therefore the power of his resurrection is available to them to change their lives. Spiritually alive now because God raised Jesus from the dead. The power of the resurrection now courses through the brand new heart in every believer. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he rose powerfully victorious over the influence of Satan around me and over the power of sin that lives within me and over the penalty of death that I was trapped in. I am and you are, if you're following Jesus, you are spiritually alive now because God raised Jesus from the dead. And number four, number four, I'm spiritually alive now because God's grace has Save me. Spiritually alive now because God's grace has saved me. See, the penalty for my sin, the penalty for your sin, the penalty for all sin is death and separation. And the only way that I can be saved from paying that penalty is if a perfect person gives his life on my behalf 
satisfy the absolute perfect wrath and justice of God. God's wrath against me and against you in, in your spiritually dead state, it's perfectly justified. Justified because of my rebellion, your rebellion. And since it's perfectly justified, it requires a perfect payment or ransom. This is where God's grace enters the courtroom of my death sentence in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The reality and the truth is that Jesus is the face of God's grace. That's the reality and truth. If you want to experience more of God's grace in your life, then what you need to do is set your sights on Jesus. It's like what Brandon shared today in that text in Isaiah. As he's sharing that, what Brandon is saying and what what the scriptures attest and testify to us is that when you recognize how spiritually dead you have been, the way that you experience God's grace is by setting your eyesight on Jesus, who is the face of grace. You don't pursue more grace by just saying, Jesus or God, please help me experience more of your grace, although that's a good prayer to pray. Pursue Jesus and get to know Jesus. Spiritually alive now because God has saved me by his grace. Twice his, created and purchased me from the graveyard of my rebellion. God gave me what I do not deserve. Number five, I'm spiritually alive now because God has positioned me in Christ. We work hard, right? Every one of us works hard to earn our positions and our paychecks and our jobs and our places of employment. And when a new position becomes available, think about that. Ever tried to work hard to get a new position and get a promotion, get a raise. You work hard for that. But in the message of the gospel, when it comes to spiritual life, it's the other way around. In the message of the gospel, I don't work hard to get a raise or a promotion. What I begin to know and to trust and to believe and to live out of is that Jesus worked hard, harder than I could ever work. Any of you in the room feel like you're hard workers? Jesus worked harder than any of us. And he worked hard on the cross as he was raised up so that you and I could be raised up and then seated with him. That's your position, right? That's your position. Is with Christ in heaven. You and I once were positioned in the grave of death. That was our position. That was our place. (coughs) Now, if you've trusted in Christ and he's called your name and you've heard him and you're actively striving to follow him, then you are positioned on a throne. You're positioned on the throne of life with Christ in heaven. It's good for you and I to be able to say, I am spiritually alive now. Spiritually alive now because God has positioned me in Christ. And finally, number six, the right-hand side of the cross. I am spiritually alive now because God has revealed himself to me. What is a Christian saying when they say that God has revealed himself to them? Biblically speaking, when we say that God has revealed himself to us, what we are saying is that he has unveiled himself or he has shown himself to us through his word and through the testimony of other believers, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But what does God show us? That's the question. 
not just what do we mean when we say God has revealed himself, but what is it that God does show us? What does he reveal to us that actually causes our hearts to leap into new life? Here's what I think from the text. God shows us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This revelation of of God's immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus is simply just that, immeasurable. Love to measure things, right? Anybody else like to measure things? Love to measure whether things meet the mark or don't meet the mark, whether that was good enough or not good enough. Love to measure whether the food tasted good or the food tasted bad, right? We measure things all the time. God's riches of his grace, of kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, it's immeasurable. When I say that I'm alive now because God has chosen to reveal himself to me, I am simply saying that his revelation was not just a one-time thing at the moment of salvation, but it was an ongoing thing, and it is an ongoing thing, as I walked out my salvation with fear and trembling throughout the coming ages. If God has revealed himself to you, and the result is that you are now fully alive, then you can rest in the truth that God will continue to reveal himself to you all of eternity. God will reveal his immeasurable wealth of grace towards you for all of eternity. God will reveal his immeasurable kindness towards you in Christ Jesus for all of eternity. This is what God does. Why? Why does God reveal himself to us for all of eternity? Because eternity cannot contain you. God who has saved you and brought you back to life. I'm spiritually alive now because God has revealed himself to me. Is that something that you can say? Once was spiritually dead, now I'm alive. Try watching this video.
Are you a person who was once dead but is now alive? Are you a person who was once dead but now is alive? Can you, can you sing that song, Amazing Grace? Once was blind, but now I can see. Once was in chains, but now I'm free. Are you a person who once was dead but now is alive? If that's you, then, then you can be encouraged this morning. This is who you are. Once dead, now alive. If you're a person who walked in here living a life that was spiritually dead, then what God is doing through the preaching of this message is calling you to new life. The question is, is will you respond? Receive that invitation to join the family. Once was dead, now I'm alive. Pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning together in worship. And, and in this passage, thank you for truth. In the cross of Christ, all who were spiritually dead have the opportunity to become spiritually alive. Lord, I pray that you would do that work in us this morning. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.